Welcome to the Ask a Club Fitter podcast. Answering your questions on all things golf equipment and club fitting. Here's your host, hoping to help you play better golf. He's a PGA professional, founder of Tour Fit Golf, and has worked with some of the world's best players. Tom Davies. Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome back to the podcast. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. Uh, welcome on board. I hope uh, that you can uh, take a little uh, trip back uh, over some of the other episodes that we've done over the last uh, six to six to eight months uh, and just enjoy some of the content, which uh, I've certainly enjoyed creating myself and uh, I look forward to creating uh, much, much more. Now, before we, we start, um, I've got a couple of uh, requests, I guess. Um, f- first and foremost, uh, this, this podcast is reaching uh, people all over the world, which is a massive shock to me, I've got to be honest with you, uh, and it, it blows me away when I look at the analytics and I see where people are listening from, uh, it, it really is astonishing, and um, I'd love for that to, to grow uh, a little bit more. So if you're a listener and uh, you've enjoyed the podcast and you feel like that one of your friends, uh, golfing buddies, uh, or anyone really could benefit from some of the content. I would really, really appreciate it if you could just uh, have a little whisper in their ear and uh, just tell them about the podcast, or maybe uh, you know send them a, rec- a recommendation via text or WhatsApp or whatever your preferred method is. Uh, I would be super, super grateful for that. Um, there's nothing better than seeing kind of the uh, the the numbers grow. So uh, that that's my first request. Um, the other thing which I'd like to announce as well is we have got a competition on the go, um, which I'm actually going to draw in the next podcast. Uh, I'm going to do that live uh, on the podcast, uh, which will be next Monday. Actually, it's not going to be next Monday. It's going to be the Monday after. It's going to be two weeks from now. And we're doing a draw for a dozen balls of your choice. Uh, we've got options from uh, all of the Titleist range, all of the Strixon range, and uh, all of the tight, uh, tailor-made range as well. So if you fancy some golf balls and the golf course you're playing on, the rough is growing a little bit more and you can see your golf balls going down and down, then please just jump over to Instagram, click on the link in my bio, and you'll see an option there to enter the competition um and uh, I, I promise that we won't share any of your information with anyone else and we'll only send you information uh, if you want us to and uh, we'll send it to you when we think that it's going to be of value to you so um so that, that that's it from a housekeeping perspective uh today's episode i'm very excited to uh, to talk about i've not really talked about putting too much and putters and I'm going to go into this uh, in uh, a little bit of detail today. I've had a couple of questions as well, um, which I'm also going to answer. But uh, th- this is kind of inspired by uh, a course I went on uh, a week before last, which was uh, a Quintic ball roll course with uh, Dr. Paul Hurrian. Now, we use Quintic uh, for all of our putter fit-ins and um, any uh, putter coaching that we do. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of kit, uh, very in-depth, and there's there's a lot to learn about it. And I, I've been lucky that uh, I've learned, uh, you know, some of this information over the last couple of years. And I want to talk about uh, almost like a, a, a new bit of research which has been done when it comes to putters, really, and the difference between a mallet putter and a blade putter. Now, this is very uh, uh, contentious. It's a topic which... 
I guess when anybody is looking for a putter, they're always thinking, you know, do I need a mallet? Do I need a blade style putter? Do I need something which has got loads of uh, toe hang? Do I need something which is face balanced? Do I need something which has got a line on it? Um, Do I need an insert? Do I not need an insert? And I thought I'd give you a little bit of of information today uh, just about the differences between a mallet putter and a blade putter. Now, from the putter fittings that I've done, it's it's very very interesting, and, and, and putter fitting is almost uh, completely different to uh, iron fittings, driver fittings, wedge fittings. Uh, and what I mean by that is how people actually react to what they've got in their hand and the size of the line, whether there's a line there at all, the color of the putter um, is is really incredible, and even down to kind of like the grip thickness is. Um, the, the differences between one player and the next are, are truly unbelievable and, and it makes the putter fitting process um, probably a little bit more difficult than, uh, than than other clubs but for me it's very very interesting because trying to piece that puzzle together for that individual player who's in front of you trying to understand you know what their problems are is it an aiming issue is it a face control issue is it a you know a, a pace control issue um is really valuable and you can you know by looking at this in a lot of depth and by backing it up with data um you can you can really make a you know get a good putter for somebody and, and really help them improve and i guess this is where you know this topic starts today is you know if you're looking for a putter and if you've got a blade or a mallet putter, you know, do you stick with a mallet putter or do you try and go to a blade? And really, when you look at it from a technical perspective, you know, what are these two different styles of putter going to offer you as a player? Now, the first bit that I'm going to talk about is just what happens uh, on uh, a centered strike. Now, when we're looking at a mallet putter versus a blade putter, if you're striking the ball out of the center, there's there's not going to be a lot of difference in terms of the start line and in terms of uh, the pace that golf ball comes comes off the putter. And this is assuming that you've got the same insert or the same face material from one putter to the next. Uh, often that's not the case. What you tend to see is with a lot of bladed putters like a Scotty Cameron, Newport 2 as an example, or a Ping Answer putter, uh, there's often not a uh, face insert in them. And with mallet putters, there often is face inserts in them. You know, I can think of a whole host of mallet putters which have all got face inserts in them. And face inserts is is, a, is almost like a topic on its own. And I'm not really going to dive into that today. I'm just going to talk about the pure difference between a mallet putter and a blade putter. Now, when I grew up playing golf, and when I was choosing putters uh, back in the day, and and probably even if we're going back sort of five or six years ago, before I really kind of, well, probably more than that, more like 10 years ago, before I really, really started diving deep into the data behind um, golf clubs and what they can do to influence performance, I was always under the assumption that the difference between uh, a player who uses a mallet putter and a blade putter is just purely down to the amount of face rotation they've got and the difference in the path. So as an example... Somebody who would have uh, quite a um, a big arc in their putter with quite a lot of face rotation typically would go for a blade putter. Somebody who's got a little bit more of a straight back, straight through kind of path 
with very little face rotation would tend to go to, for, for a malapata. And to a degree, that, that theory um, and that concept is really not a bad concept. But what I'm going to talk about today is what actually happens if you actually miss the centre of a malapata versus missing the centre of a blade putter. Now, this research has been done by Dr. Paul Hurrian and um, Alistair Cochran. And I'm not going to talk uh, too much about the intricate details on this. Um, and if anybody's got any questions, I can certainly send this to them. Um, I'm just going to talk about the summary of this research and really what this research is... Um, has been done for is just to evaluate kind of if you've got a blade putter or a mala putter and you strike it off center actually what happens and you know how can you actually use that information then to help uh, players now the first bit which we're going to really talk about here is if you strike a mala putter or a blade putter off center which putter will make that golf ball start closest to your intended target line now I know probably what most people are thinking here is it's got to be a mallet putter because they're more stable. Now, this research actually contradicts that. And if we're just talking about the start line and the launch direction of the golf ball, and launch direction is where that golf ball will launch relative to the ball to target line. When you strike a mallet putter off center, the mallet putter will start more to the right or to the left, depending on whether you strike it heel side or toe side, compared to a uh, bladed putter. And and that, for me, when I first looked at this data, I, I didn't believe it, and I certainly didn't understand it, because when you think about how uh, a lot of the marketing is created around some of these mallet putters, like a spider putter or some of the Odyssey putters, it's all about stability and about forgiveness, and my first instinct will, 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 they must be wrong. Now, there's, there's obviously, you know, lots of different things which, which happen when you strike a golf ball off center. We've just talked specifically about the launch direction. But what we've not really talked about is actually the pace that golf ball comes off the, the face. So when you actually talk about the pace and the pace the putter or the speed of the putter going into the golf ball in these two examples is absolutely identical. The mass of the putter is identical. So what's going into that golf ball is, for all uh, intents and purposes, uh, exactly the same. If you strike a blade putter off-center compared to a mallet putter, that blade putter is going to lose more energy. Right. So what that means is that when you strike the golf ball, golf ball with a blade versus golf ball with a, with a mallet is going to come off slower. So the mallet putter actually helps the golf ball retain some of that speed as opposed to the blade. So we've got two things here, right? We've got, if you are if you struggle with pace, then on paper a mallet putter is, is going to be better. If you struggle with start line, and you're very good at pace, then maybe looking more towards a blade is going to be quite helpful. But, there's a big, big but here. When you're looking at a putt from 20 feet, and you look at the mallet putter, which starts more offline, 
And just to put this into context, over a 20-foot putt in this example, the mallet putter finishes 4.33 inches uh, off-center or offline. The blade putter finishes 0.64 inches offline at 20 feet. However, when you're looking at the distance that golf ball travels, the mallet putter on an off-center hit finishes 29 inches short on a 20-foot putt, and the blade putter finishes 41 inches short on a 20-foot putt. So when you actually think about it, even though that mallet putter has started more offline and a 20 feet is finished 4.3 inches uh, to the right or to the left of, uh, of the target line, because it's maintained its speed, it's actually finished closer to the hole than the malaputta, which has started more online, but it's actually not maintained the ball speed as well, and it's not transferred the energy as well, so it's actually finished further away. So that's the reason there why that you know some of these golf companies can actually say that you know a malaputta is a lot more forgiving than a blade putter because it's nothing to do with uh, you know how far offline it starts um, or how far offline it finishes at 20 feet it's all to do with how close that golf ball finishes so in summary to this okay if you're somebody who's using a mallet putter and you're not very good at controlling the uh, the start line but you are very good at controlling pace one really really good option for you here is actually using something where the center of gravity and this is really what we're talking about here. When we're talking about a mallet putter versus a blade putter, the center of gravity of that golf club is a lot closer to the face on a blade putter as opposed to a mallet putter where the center of gravity is a little bit further back. If you're somebody who struggles massively with pace, but you're very good at line, then a good option for you would be to perhaps test something where the center of gravity is a little bit further away from the face uh, something like um, you know a, a two ball as an example which you know I'm sure everybody listening to this would would be familiar with a two ball putter <coughs> excuse me so that that's that's the data really and if you think about you know this from a, a putter design perspective and you think about you know, well, is, is there a way of getting the best of both worlds? Well, yes, there is a way of getting the best of both worlds. And really what we're looking for is we're looking for the mass of that putter to be distributed, you know, around the edges of the putter, but that center of gravity to be as close to the face as possible. And the only way I can kind of describe this is if, if anybody can think of uh, the Odyssey number seven or a fang putter where it's almost like a blade in construction, but you've almost got these wings uh, on, on the toe and the heel, which come, you know, probably, you know, three, four inches uh, back from the center. Essentially, with that kind of design or anything which has got kind of like space, um, or a, a hole in the middle of the putter, but mass on the outside of that. Really what the, the, the companies are trying to do is they're trying to get that, that center of gravity as close to the face as possible to maintain face angle on off-center hits. But then 
use the mass of the putter to keep that putter nice and stable to maintain the ball speed. So that's where they're trying to get the best of both worlds. Um, so if you're somebody that struggles with line and pace, probably the first thing to do is actually to, to go and get a lesson and to really try and understand is there anything technically which you know is contributing towards poor face control and poor uh, line control. But when you're looking at it from uh, a putter perspective and an equipment perspective, then trying to blend the you know the the both of those together uh, would be a very very good option but i can assure you something that in terms of uh, you your kind of club golfers that pace control is going to be way 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 more beneficial to them um than face control and i know that might sound a little bit weird but if your pace is really good it's going to be very 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 unlikely that you're going to have a lot of three putts you might have a lot of two putts and you might not necessarily haul a lot of putts, um, especially from kind of 10 feet and over. But, you know, your pace control is going to be fantastic, which means you're not going to you're not going to three putt uh, as much. If you're somebody that really struggles with pace control, then uh, three putts straight away are going to be on the cards and you just starting to notch up those shots, you know, over a round or a month, over a season. It's really going to add, um, you know, challenges to you bringing your handicap down or even maintaining your handicap. So pace control would be one of the first things that I look at um, from a coaching and fitting perspective. And uh, like I say, if, if you do struggle massively with pace, then uh, definitely looking at a malaputta would, would be beneficial. On the subject of face control, and I certainly don't want to dismiss face control at all because it's, uh, it's it's massively important and crucial for you to be able to convert putts and, and hold putts, especially from that kind of, you know, 6 to 20 feet range, which you know, is, 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 is really important because that's where a lot of birdie putts uh, are going to get to or are going to be in. I thought it would be quite cool to uh, to almost talk about three killers, really, to, um, uh, to, to really influence start line. So if you're somebody that really struggles with start line, it might be good to, to kind of look at these or even go and see your coach. I mean, maybe talk about these three um, different parameters or different possibilities uh, as, as a way of, of improving. Now, this might sound a little bit weird, okay? Um, because this is something which is very difficult to see. It's very difficult to analyze on a camera, as an example. So even on an iPhone, um, it's very difficult to to, to really uh, try and establish whether a player is doing this. Really, the only way that you're going to do this is by by using a system like Quintic or SamPatLab. SamPatLab is not going to give you um, measured data on the golf ball, but it will certainly give you uh, very good data on uh, on the golf club. But the first one to start line is actually hitting down on the golf ball. Now, even though we're talking about a vertical parameter in terms of that golf club, whether it's going down or moving up when it's hitting the golf ball, believe it or not, if you hit down on a golf ball when you're on the putting green, really what you're doing is you're actually forcing that golf ball into the ground. The amount you force the ball into the ground will be dependent on two things. It'll be dependent on number one, uh, how much loft and how much you hit down on it. And also the, the surface which you're actually putting on. Now, when we talk about the surface that we're putting on, a golf ball will sit almost in like a little nest. And 
the better the surface and the firmer the surface, or the shorter the greens, effectively, the smaller the nest, the longer the greens, and uh, the softer the surface, typically, uh, the bigger the nest. And really what we're trying to do when we're putting is we're trying to get that golf ball out of that nest in the most efficient way, which means that that golf ball has got to get in the air to start off with to avoid uh, any possible friction from uh, almost the way in which that golf ball is sitting in that little nest on the putting green. Um, and then we're trying to get that ball into true roll as quick as possible. Um, however, if you're hitting down on that golf ball, essentially what you're doing is you're pushing that golf ball into the surface. And when you're pushing that golf ball into the service, uh, surface, it's, it's literally like um, just rolling a dice in terms of how that golf ball is actually going to uh, react, number one, to what the putter's done, but also to the surface. And if you're somebody that hits a putt and it jumps immediately, or it jumps offline immediately, this is something that I would really look at, is just trying to analyse, you know, uh, are you hitting down on it first of all? Because if that golf ball is too far back or your hands are too far forward, you know, having a negative attack angle is really going to force that golf ball into the ground. And it's it's certainly going to cause a lot of inconsistencies over a round of golf or over a season in terms of where that golf ball is going to start and also how much pace that golf ball has got on it as well. Because if you're if you're hitting that golf ball into the ground, it's possible that you're going to create a huge amount of top spin or overspin, and that golf ball could potentially just shoot off um, and almost look like it's uh, like a bomb has gone off kind of thing when, you, when you've hit it and it's completely out of control. From a start line perspective, when you force it into the ground, that golf ball could jump left, it could jump right, uh, it could literally do anything. Um it might come off online and you might make it work uh, in certain situations, but I could almost guarantee you there's going to be instances where that golf ball is going to jump left of right of, of where that face is pointing. So that's something which can easily be avoided. It's something which, you know, even looking at your ball position, the amount of forward press you've got, um, looking at the weight distribution, you know, from your left foot to your right foot, looking at all of these things and just really trying to establish that when you're hitting that golf ball, you really want to be hitting it, you know, probably zero to, to one degree up. Um, a little bit more would be okay, um, but not too much because it really would start to affect the way in which you strike the golf ball. So that's, that's the first thing to look at. The second thing to look at is the amount of face rotation you've got. Now, the vast majority of players that I've seen uh, in my studio and the vast majority of players that I've seen when I've got some data from Quintic have got a lot of face rotation. And anytime you've got a lot of face rotation, it just means that that club face is actually rotating heavily. And, and really what you're relying on then to get that face as square as possible is you're relying on good touch and feel and really good timing now it doesn't mean that you're not going to start that golf ball online it just means that you're reliant heavily on the timing of the stroke you're relying heavily on uh, your feel of where that putter is and where that face is and it's something which if you can just reduce your face rotation and just get that to the to a point where you know, you don't really have to rely on, uh, you know, feel and timing so much. It just means that over a season, over a round, you know, the chances of that face actually coming back to where it should be 
it increases massively. And if you have a look at some of the best putters in the world, um, you have a look at a lot of players on tour, you wouldn't really see a lot of successful putters or good putters that have got really, really high face rotation. And if they have, then um, they've also got a lot of talent and uh, uh, they're, they're very, very, very good at timing. Um and I would I would anticipate that those put those players would be very streaky in terms of putter uh, in putting, and they would hole absolutely everything one round, and then maybe not be not so good um, on the next round. So that that's another thing to look at. The other thing to look at is your aim. Uh, aiming is something which uh, you know you can you can really help yourself in terms of aiming you know there's lots of different methods uh, by putting lines on the golf ball you've got lines on the putter there's so many different options to help you aim Uh, and to put this into context in terms of how important this is if your aiming uh, is more than one degree off from 10 feet and you return that putter back to to where it was at the start that golf ball is not going to go in the hole on a straight putt um so face aim is really important and really what we're looking to do is uh, we're just trying to reduce the difference of where you aim relative to where you return that putter to. Now if you aim five degrees left of target and you bring that putter back to zero every single time, that is completely and utterly fine because that's all that really matters is where that ball, uh, where that putter is rather, when it strikes a golf ball. <coughs> Excuse me. However, if you've got a difference of, excuse me a second, I'm just going to have another sip of coffee here. If you have got a big differential between where you aim and where that face is at setup uh, or at at impact, again, you're relying heavily on timing, you're relying heavily on, um, on feel. And the chances are, like I say, over a season, there's going to be lots and lots of rounds where you probably don't putt well. And we're talking about fine margins here. We're talking about a one degree difference from 10 feet. If you're not within that one degree uh, range from 10 feet, that ball is not going to go in. So so really, you think about that over 20 feet, that's going to be narrower. Over 30 feet, that's going to be narrower again. And if you've got five degrees to make up, then um, you don't have to be that far out uh, to, to, to miss a putt. So that's something which I think is really important for everybody to look at. There's lots of different uh, variables here as well in terms of, you know, start line. Um, you know, there's there, there's loads of different ways in which, you know, we, we could talk about this. We could talk about posture. We could talk about the way in which your arms sit on the golf ball. We could talk about the grip of the putter. There's all sorts of different things. Um, but I thought just to simplify it, there would be three things. Number one is hitting down on the golf ball. Number two is the amount of face rotation that you've actually got in your stroke. And the other one, which is very simple, is aim. Um, really good little tip for anybody who wants to check their aim in is just buy a chalk line from, from B&Q um, or a laser. There's some really good lasers on the market. And um, a builder's chalk line is, is is very cheap. I think they cost me about seven or eight quid from, from B&Q a couple of years ago. Probably with COVID, they'd probably double that price now. But, um, but yeah, chalk line on the green, pop it down six to ten feet or whatever it is and um, just have a check of where that putter's aiming relative to, to that chalk line really nice easy cheap way of analysing it and um, you know really good to take that from one, one course to the next or one one tournament to the next as well really really portable so I hope that makes sense 
I've really tried to simplify that as much as possible and I could really, really go into this in a lot in a lot, a lot of depth uh, and talk about some of the terms which, um, you know, have almost been uh, revealed during that research of a malaputter versus a blade putter when you're talking about uh, the, the off-centre hits. But um, but yeah, if, you, if it doesn't make sense, then uh, please get in touch and I'd be more than happy to elaborate on something. If you've got any questions which you want to add to the next podcast, then then fire them across. You can send them to me on uh, on Instagram via direct message. You can send them to me um, you know, via uh, my Instagram story. So if you are following me on, on Instagram, then I often give a lot of listeners uh, the opportunity to ask questions in my story. So please don't be afraid to, to send anything across and uh, I'd be more than happy to to answer any questions, whether it's completely new questions, whether it's something which I've mentioned in a previous, pod, uh, previous podcast, I'd be more than happy to to elaborate and, you know, I really welcome people challenging my, my knowledge as well um, because it really helps me kind of um, continue to learn, which, uh, you know, I really, really enjoy. On to a couple of listeners' questions. I'm going to whiz through these pretty quickly. I don't want this to be a long podcast. I'm hopefully going to keep this to about half an hour to 35 minutes. Um, but I did pop a, a, a question on uh, on my stories. And I've had some, some really good ones. So from, uh, I haven't got the names here, but I've got the, uh, the Instagram handles from John1Rob. His question, is grip thickness important? Does it affect how we swing slash ball flight, etc.? Um, to answer the first question, yes, <laughs> it is important. And if you relate into kind of normal club fitting or, you know, the vast majority of your golf clubs outside of a putter, um, it is very important. Um, it can really influence uh, feel heavily and face control. Uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, have got ailments in their hands, a lot of arthritis. Um, you know, some people have had uh, wrist injuries. Um, you know, they're, they're, there's lots of different things which uh, will influence the thickness uh, of a grip. And there's, there's there's also a lot of different grips uh, and different ways in which you can build up the club as well. Now, if you were to look on a tour truck and you were to look at the specs of 10 different players, uh They've probably got ten different grips with ten different, uh, you know, thicknesses and wraps and tapes and everything underneath. Uh, and re- really, you know, players have, have just gone through a process of trial and error, and um, you know, come up with a uh, a grip thickness and a grip type which really feels good. Now, if I was to relate this to me, I've got pretty big hands, um, and I've always used standard thickness with two tapes. It's never really felt that comfortable. And when I've picked up a club with a mid-size grip on it, every time I've done it and I've just given it a little waggle, it's always felt better. And believe it or not, it's taken me over 10 years. <laughs> and I know this sounds a bit crazy. Actually, 10 years to get to the point where I can actually use mid-size grips on the golf course. Because even though they felt more comfortable to me um, when I'm picking up a golf club, when I've gone onto the golf course with mid-size grips, um, I, I've just been absolutely all over the shop. And really the last couple of years, I've not played a lot. Uh, and I've, I've just taken this opportunity really just to trans, transfer straight into mid-size grips and I've got uh, no option. And after probably two or three rounds, it's really started to feel really, really good. But I guess the reason why I've never done it before is because 
you know, I valued that kind of short-term performance a little bit more than, you know, the 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 potential long-term gains uh, when I've been playing in the past. And, um, you know, it's, t- it's just taken me a while to get uh, to the point where I can actually use mid-size grips. Uh, the grips that I use are Z-Cord Align mid-size. Uh, I've always liked a really firm, rough grip. The grips I've used before that were the Tor Velvet BCTs. Um, they're not necessarily that firm, but they certainly do feel uh, very, very nice. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and that's it, really. It, it does affect how we swing the club. It affects how we, we present the face. Um and depending on how you present the face will very much depend on uh, on how that ball flight reacts. Okay, uh, so I hope that makes sense. And uh, like I say, if it doesn't make sense, uh, please let me know. Uh, I can go into that in a little bit more detail. But um, just to summarize that, definitely try some, some different grips. Um, if you've got the opportunity to maybe um, go and see your professional and ask him to, you know, perhaps even just with one club, uh, just put a grip on with one layer, go and try it, put a grip on perhaps with an extra two layers, try it, take it off again, pop another couple of layers on. And if, if you've got a pro shop which has got some really good facilities from a workshop standpoint, they'll be able to take grips on and off really, really quickly and really easily. It doesn't really take um, a lot of work. It can get a little bit messy for the guys, depending on what method they use. But um, it, it shouldn't ruin the grips at all. And uh, it's a really nice way of doing that. And certainly something which I offer all of my clients that have fit-ins, if they want us to you know, take the, all the grips off and put extra layers of tape on, um, you know, that that's something which, you know, I, I, th- I think is, uh, it's quite labor intensive, but it's not, it's not anything that really costs a lot of money. Um, and I think it's worth it for the player, you know, if, because um, otherwise you're just going to end up having the same grips year in, year out, and you're never really going to explore what really is the best fit for you. On to the next question um, from Higgs123. How important is putter grip and how do you find the right one? Um, I guess this is quite similar to the answer which um, I've given just now. But um, putter grip is mega important. uh, The same as all other grips. Super, super important. Um, From a putter standpoint... um, it's a little bit different to standard grips because putter grips these days are bloody expensive. And, you know, you're talking for a super stroke or a two thumb grip um, or anything really of which, which is, which holds any sort of good quality and has been put together really, really well. Um, you know, they're, they're expensive. They're 30, 35 quid. So, you know, go, going through a process of, of trying different grips can actually get very, very expensive. Um, what I would do personally is I would try um, as many different grips and as many different putters as possible. So if you've got a pro shop where, you know, they've got lots of different putters there um, and they've got different grips on them, maybe maybe ask the pro just to go and try a couple on the putting green. If you see someone who you're playing with who's got a different grip on it, whether it's a different thickness, a different length, whatever it is, um, just just try them as much as, as, as you possibly can. Um and you will definitely get to the point where where you feel super super comfortable and you feel like you can control that face a lot more. Now, the putty grip I use 
is uh, the original two thumb grip. It's very, very wide. Um, it's not very deep from front to back. And the way in which I put my hands on the putter is I put my hands um, exactly the same on the right side as I do on the left side. So I'm trying to create as much symmetry as possible between my right side and left side. Um, that, for me, really helps me control that putter in terms of uh, the face rotation. And it also helps me control the low point a lot more because, it, for, for me personally, it just means that my rib cage doesn't rock back and forth too much. Typically, what I've found in the past is anytime I put right below left, uh, which is how I've putted for the majority of my, my golfing kind of career, I guess, um, typically I would kind of move my rib cage backwards just before i hit the golf ball it would change my attack angle it would change my uh, the, the face position at impact as well and um i would just get you know just the odd round where i really didn't put that well um i feel like certainly over the last year or so after using this putter grip it's really helped me control uh, two things it's helped me control the strike of the ball uh, a little bit more with a putter and it's also helped me control the face uh, a lot more as well so in order to answer your question it's mega important that you get the right grip how do you find the right one well um it depends on your budget uh you know, if you're happy just kind of burning through grips left, right and centre, perhaps what I would do is, you know, find somewhere that can actually save grips as well. So without you cutting the grips off every time that you, you want to change one is is maybe buy another grip, try it. If you don't like it, go back to the previous one. Perhaps sell the other one on, uh, on eBay if you can. Um, try and get a little bit of money back on it. Um, and that's pretty much the only way in which you, you can try them. It's very difficult at this level. On tour, of course, you know, players can go on the track and maybe try a couple of different ones uh, and then go back to one. And um, as much as there's always cost to doing that, somebody's got to pay for those grips uh, at some point down the line. You know, in terms of the players, they, they've got that luxury of, of maybe trying three or four different grips, um, you know, in, in a very short space of time. So I hope that one helps there. I've got another question from uh, A Paul K3. How much does soft stepping and hard stepping influence the kick point on irons? Now, to answer the question directly, um, not a lot. <laughs> it really doesn't change the kick point a lot. And if you're talking about kick point, the kick point between one shaft and another, the difference between the two is really not huge. You're probably talking an inch, maybe a little bit more between something that's got a really high kick point and a really low kick point. So in, in terms of how much it influences the kick point, it's not going to influence the kick point a lot. But hard, step, hard stepping and soft stepping is a really, really nice way of almost getting in between flexes. So as an example, if we just take a shaft like a Dynamic Gold S300, right? It's a very heavy shaft. It's something which has been on the market for donkey's years. It's still something that I use very often in fittings. Um, even the X100 uh, is, is something which I use probably even more than an S300. But if you've got a player that kind of maybe doesn't want to go into X, there's a psychological issue with them going into X flex. Or even if there's a... Um, almost like an ego issue 
uh, with somebody who who wants to be an S, but really they're probably better in being something which is, uh, you know, regular or something that, that maybe launches a little higher because that's what they need. Then sometimes kind of soft stepping and hard stepping is a really, really good option in those two scenarios because you can make that S300 play a little stiffer. It's almost like a... Um, like an S plus, if you like. Um, and also you can make, you know, the, that S300 play a little softer as well. And it's more like a, like a regular plus. Um, so you, you just move in the flex really up and down. And I always class, you know, if you start soft stepping or hard stepping, you know, on paper, you're not really going to influence the spin and launch massively. You might influence the feel a little bit more. Um, and you know, the control of the face perhaps. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a really nice option uh, to to use, and um, you know I guess I shouldn't really say this, but you know I, I've sometimes done that with players, um, you know without them even knowing. <laughs> uh, you know if if there's a case of you know I know that this is going to benefit a player, um, but they really don't want to hear it, then I'll probably just do it, um, and I've certainly done that a lot on tour, um, done it way more on tour than I've done it at a retail level. And, um, you know, there's not very often that it's not worked. <laughs> and sometimes keeping keeping information in your top pocket in terms of the way in which you're um, creating that spec uh, is going to be a very good option. And, and this is something that, that i done personally with Bradley Dredge a number of years ago. I don't know what spec he's using at the moment, but um, he was using Project X shafts, um, struggling to turn them over a little bit uh, but didn't really want to veer too far away from from what he had so we just decided to soft step the shafts done that in his irons and uh, worked out really really well improved his feel improved um you know the, the way in which he was shaping the golf ball and um i think he might, might well have had a good a good couple of seasons after that it was, it's not nothing to do with the, the shafts, really. It's uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it there. But I'd like to think that you know, just that little tiny improvement there has just maybe added just another string to the bow there. Um, you know, in in terms of performance. So, um, really good questions there, actually. And uh, like I always say, if anybody's got a lot of questions or any questions, um, please don't be afraid to to fire them across. I'm happy to answer questions anonymously. You don't have to, um, you know, I don't have to mention your name or anything like that. Um, it's just really good content and, uh, you know, a, a nice way of me putting across a lot of this information. So um, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, there was a little bit in the middle there where uh, I had to go and uh, see the postman, but I'm going to edit that out. And uh, this podcast will probably be about 35 minutes long. And uh, if you've got this far, I really want, want to say thank you uh, for your attention. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said at the start of the podcast, if you know of anybody who you think would uh, benefit from some of this information or you've got anybody who asks a lot of questions and want to get stuff answered, then please tell them to send them, send them across. And uh, I'll certainly add that content into uh, the next podcast but in the meantime i hope your golf is really good uh, i hope the weather's really good for you wherever you are in the world and um fingers crossed um i will hear from you soon and you'll definitely hear from me <laughs>